Welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com, your SB Nation site covering all things Ohio State Athletics 24-7, 365. As you can probably tell, I am not your intrepid host, Matt Brown. I am your uh, not-so-intrepid host, Matt Tamnini, because this is the first basketball-centric podcast of the 2016-2017 season, and you're stuck with me talking about hoops, hopefully, deep into March. The Buckeye basketball team opens their season with an exhibition game against Walsh this Sunday, November 6th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. You can see that game on BTN.com. And then the season opens in earnest at Navy in Annapolis on Friday, November 11th at 9 p.m., a good Veterans Day tip-off. And that game will be on the CBS Sports Network. Now, even though I am not the Matt Brown, if you are one of the millions of Matt Brown fans out there, have no fear because I am joined by Land Grant Holy Land's managing editor and one of SB Nation's college league managers, the one, the only, Matt Brown. Matt, how are you, man? Uh, I, I'm great. I uh, I wish I could claim that I was the only. There's there's at least six other Matt Browns, I think, on, on Twitter.com. I will gladly take any other confused people hoping that you were going to hear from an MMA fighter or perhaps the, the smarter version of me who writes for Sports on Earth. You know, you're welcome to listen too, uh, but you're all stuck with me today. Yeah, you're, you're a better follower than those guys anyway. You can find Matt Brown on Twitter at MattSBN. He is also one of the geniuses tweeting from at LandGrant33. You can find both LandGrantHolyLand and Matt B on Facebook. I myself am on Twitter at BWWMATT, but I'm either too old or don't have enough friends for Facebook, probably both, but let's not talk about that now. Anyway, Matt, we've got a ton to talk about. Even though we are in the throes of a pretty interesting Ohio State football season, this basketball season is shaping up to be really, really interesting. There's been a lot of turnover from last year, and we're going to talk about that here in a few minutes. But a lot of people, including Ken Pomeroy, thinks that that's actually a good thing. You've recently wrote an article about how the advanced metrics seem to have higher expectations for Ohio State this season than a lot of even the most fervent Buckeye fans do. And, and and Ken Palm broke it down saying that because four-fifths of Ohio State's 2015 recruiting class has transferred out since the beginning of last season, the expectation is actually that better players will be taking their playing time, either in returning players getting a little bit more action or potentially better recruits who have come in and have a much easier path to playing time. Yeah, I, I, I dug into a little bit of his explanation, and it makes sense. Ohio State's athletic department is enormous, and so if you're going to give a program the benefit of the doubt, you should give it to the program that makes a gajillion dollars and, and has a, a ton of resources to, resources to throw at teams. And given that now that Ohio State has moved from one of the youngest teams in the country to now one of the more experienced teams and returns their top six scorers and their top six in virtually every other statistical category except for blocks, it's, it, I think it, you can make a reasonable, credible argument that the Buckeyes should be significantly better. Now, would I pick Ohio State to be the 13th best team in the country right now in a preseason poll? No. Would I, would, I'm not even sure I would put them in the top 25. But, I mean, is, is this a team that at absolute baseline minimum expectations should be, an, should be an NCAA tournament bid? I do think that that's fair. And the more that I, after Big Ten Media Day and after doing some more reading, I think I'm a little bit more optimistic about this team than I was maybe at the end of last year. Okay, that makes me feel good. <laughs> All right, Matt and I are going to get back to breaking down this upcoming season here shortly. But Matt, you are in the nation's capital. I'm in the happiest place on earth, Orlando, Florida. So we wanted to bring in someone who was a little closer to the team to talk about the weird ups and downs of this offseason and how the team is dealing with them heading into what will hopefully be a bounce back year for Thad Mata's crew. 
So we are joined now by the Mad Hatter of Central Ohio Sports Reporting, Pickerington Tiger and Ohio Bobcat legend, my friend, 97-1 The Fans, Lori Schmidt. Lori, thank you for bringing a much-needed level of class and professionalism to the proceedings. Oh, I don't know about class, but uh, we'll see what we can do here. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Okay, so tell me, uh, with Ohio State football in the middle of the season, basketball getting ready to start as well, the Bengals and Browns presumably still playing football on Sundays. The Blue Jackets just a few weeks into the season. The Cavs have just tipped off. And now, as we're recording, the Indians are in the World Series. How crazy have the last few weeks been for you? Well, first I want to clarify, uh, you are calling what the Browns do football? (laughs) That's why I said presumably. Okay, got it. (laughs) Uh, Things have been very, very crazy. I, I mean... And our our listeners can't get enough of it because they they like a little variety. So uh, we've had a lot of fun at the station. So now that we're moving into the basketball season, are you going to be covering a lot of Ohio State basketball this season, or are you sticking mostly with uh, with the Blue Jackets and hockey? What are your responsibilities around the hoop season? Uh, my job is to do whatever the boss asks, uh, and that can vary. <laughs> You know, people will sometimes ask me what a typical day is, and I will tell them there's no such thing as a typical day, and that's the answer I'm going to have to give you because I'm all over the map during during this time of year. I do cover a lot of the hockey. I will be covering some basketball, and of course, Buckeye football continues on, and I'll be there too. All right, awesome. Okay, so let's dive into the Ohio State basketball season. It started during the season, but pretty quickly into the offseason, four of the five freshmen that started last year on Ohio State's roster were gone. I, I don't think any of those players had yet necessarily endeared themselves to fans, maybe with the exception of Daniel Giddens, who had shown some promise at times. But I think the totality of 80% of the team's last recruiting class piecing out was a little stunning for a lot of people. We haven't really seen that a, a lot yeah. in the Thad Mata era. We've seen defections over time, which is natural. But to me, this was kind of shocking. I, I'm sure the coaches, you know, won't don't get into a lot of the details about each player and each specific situation. But what is your sense from being around the program and talking to players and coaches about what might have precipitated these transfers on the whole? Well, I think, first of all, that you are right to issue that caveat about Daniel Giddens being missed because he was in the mold of some of Thad Mata's prior big men. He had that sort of goofy personality, and he brought a little bit of nastiness underneath, and and that's something that OSU has been lacking. Uh, But he, like the others, left for different reasons, and that's why there wasn't a sense of panic at Ohio State, because each one of these guys had their own individual reasons for wanting out, for believing that this wasn't a good fit, and there wasn't something that the program saw as holistically an overriding problem that needed to be addressed. It was just five different situations that led the players to exit. Okay, so Ohio State fans don't have to wet the bed about that model losing control and the program going down the drain and nobody wanting to come and play in Columbus then. I would avoid wetting the bed at all costs. Just as a just as a general rule. Yeah, yeah can, 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 I, I can confirm. It, it's a mess. You you don't want to clean it up. Just let, let's let's avoid it. I, I assume you're speaking from being the father of a toddler and not from any recent personal experience, right, Matt? You know, you know look, this is a safe place. A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Just 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 making a, a blanket statement. We should avoid bedwetting, literal and proverbial. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Okay. 
one thing that I saw and heard Thad Mata say in the offseason quite a bit was that the team has to get back to doing things the right way. Was there a feeling in and around the program last year for whatever reason, whether it was uh, personality-wise or just fit or, or in terms of skill set, that they weren't doing the things on the floor that a Thad Mata coached Buckeye team should be doing? I want to answer depends, but uh, after that previous discussion about bedwetting, that might not be a a very good word to throw in there. Um, No, I I think there was a sense that things were askew in terms of what the players needed to be doing on and off the court. And I think that one of the big, big things that you saw Thad Mata address this offseason was that off-court aspect in he was bringing in Alan Major, because as he said, you get coaches who can maybe deal with these players one hour a day. He needs someone to deal with them the other 23. Uh, and he has Alan Major to do that. You heard uh, Jay Sean Tate just this week saying that the things were a little too loose in practice. I think he said it, his words were that things got a little too goofy at times. But this is an all-business group now. So, yes. And, and I think some of that also comes, Matt's with uh, the fact that you had Mark Loving in a position where he had to be the leader of this team and he doesn't have the natural uh, personality of a leader. But now you've got guys, you've got Jay Sean Tate and Jaquan Lyle and and Cam Williams with an additional year of experience and they can pick up some of the, the responsibilities of leadership. And I think that's going to help moving forward. But yes, to answer your question, there was something wrong with the je ne sais quoi of this team. So looking at maybe some of these practices not being the toughest, they weren't as professional as they, they might have should have been, maybe they were too goofy, what does bringing in a coach like Chris Gent, who is known to be as tough as nails, both as a player and as a coach, either on the collegiate or, or NBA level, uh, obviously it's a loss to, to have Jeff Boyles go to Slippery Rock, but, but what type of impact should we expect from Chris Gent rejoining the Buckeye coaching staff to have? Well, you bring up a great point about his competitive fire. Um, but I think the thing that OSU is mainly focused on in bringing Gent in is his skill as an instructor. Uh, he is taking a look at the offense and he is finding different ways to tinker with that. He obviously has been a guy who has been very good at working with individual players on their shot. Uh, so I think that his abilities as an instructor is what uh, Thad Mata really prizes in Chris Gent. But you make a very, very good point about his competitiveness because we've already heard players talk about how he just goes out there during practice and will not lose a shooting contest to these young pups that are challenging him. So, yes, that that is something that he brings, too. Growing up, Chris Gent was my favorite player in, in Ohio State basketball history, so I am a little partial anytime he is back involved with the program, and hopefully he is for a long time. But but you bring up a good point. He is known, he made his name, you know, really as, as a coach for practically rehabilitating LeBron's shooting game uh, back up in Cleveland the first time. So the fact that the Buckeyes can have a coach come back to the staff in Columbus and take over some aspects of the team that were really lacking last year is is a big deal. Last year, the shooting was 
I, I, I don't want to say it was abysmal, but it but it was streaky, especially compared to some of the recent teams in the Thad Mata era. Cam Williams led the team in three-point shooting percentage, but, but didn't really get off as many shots as you would want somebody shooting in the high 40s to get. Has there been a concerted effort to reinvigorate the three-point shooting for Ohio State heading into the season, You know, especially since that's one of Gent's specialties? Yeah, they've definitely been working on issues of spacing and tempo. But it's kind of funny to me, Matt, that there has been this emphasis on offense because they are bringing back six of their high scorers from last season. And and offense, as much as it was an issue last year, and it was, I'm not denying that, Thad Mata had his worst defensive team in his entire time at OSU in terms of points per game. Even worse than when he had a postseason ban and Jim O'Brien holdovers, they were giving up 64 points a game then. Last year, they were giving up 68. And on the defensive end is where things are really going to have to change if OSU is going to experience a turnaround in 2016-2017. You mentioned a, a turnaround. Whether that is returning players maturing or spots opening up because of transfers, they brought in, you know, not a great recruiting class, but a good one. Ohio State seemed to be in the mid-30s or or to low 40s in most of the recruiting rankings for this past season. But they've brought in four players that people seem to be fairly excited about. Two players, a sophomore Juco transfer, C.J. Jackson at point guard, and a 6'9 center from mentor, Micah Potter, both seem to be in the mix for some playing time as backups, along with Derek Funderburk and just saying that name, <laughs> Funderburk makes me feel old, um, and Andre Wesson. Mata's philosophy has always been to play a lot of guys early in the season and then pared down his bench as the season went on. But but so far from what you've heard and seen, what should we expect from this crew of recruits? I would definitely expect to see CJ Jackson because they need depth at his position. Uh, and, Thad Mata really likes what he brings from an intangible standpoint. One of the stories that he told in the offseason was that uh, he was talking to CJ about accepting an offer at OSU, and CJ said, sure, I'm in. And Thad says, don't you want to look at the campus? I mean, don't you want to come here, look around? And he said, no, I love what OSU was about. And I think that as much as anything is Thad Mata's new emphasis when it comes to recruiting is you know, Villanova went through this too, and Villanova just won a title by by changing their perspective. So I, I find it interesting that Thad Mott is sort of adopting the same mindset. Uh, Jay Wright said that he was done looking for the players that he thought Villanova needed. He was going to start looking for the players that felt that they needed Villanova. And, and Thad Mott is kind of going through that now, where he wants players that want to be at OSU. I think you see that reflected in a roster where seven of the guys are from the state of Ohio, seven of 13, you know, more than half. Uh, I I think it's reflected in the fact that you've got a guy like CJ Jackson on this team and, and he and Micah Potter are players that I can see making a contribution this year. You know, it's funny you mentioned that when, uh, when Luke and I were at big 10 media day in DC a little while ago, we, we were asking about it. Because, uh, you know, Jackson's recruiting profile is not nearly as decorated, I think, as many of the other players on this team. But I, it, it, it stuck out to me that not only Mata, but the other players, you know, Jashawn Tate and KBD, both were very went out of their way uh, to praise Jackson, not just for, for some of those intangibles, but also just on the um, from the pure basketball perspective. They all said all three of them agreed that he brings a a very different look to Ohio State's backcourt. He's somebody who's more of a pass first 
uh, kind of player and also somebody who has the range to be able to uh, to, to hit three-pointers. Um, may not be somebody as ball-dominant or as able to get to the rim uh, like Lyle is, but I don't know if Ohio State has somebody else that really fits that pass-first um, you know, uh, three-point shooter benchmark or profile that, that with, with Jackson. That seems like somebody who could probably get at least 10 minutes a night in Big Ten play. Yeah, he, he brings you a second option at point guard, which, you know, it's nice to have two point guards. It's better to have two point guards with different skill sets who can give you yeah. what you need at different points in the game. And even this week, Jay Sean Tate and Chris Gent spoke to the media, and both of them mentioned the maturation of C.J. Jackson. So he is apparently a player who can learn very quickly, and that's another reason to expect that he'll be making a contribution this year. Yeah, for for, for, for what it's worth... Uh... Because before this season, I had suspected that that Andre Weston might be a redshirt candidate. At, at media day, Mata said that their plan right now is to play all four, um, and and we'll we'll see from there. I, I would be a little surprised if Weston is somebody who's playing significant minutes once you get to the Big Ten part of the schedule. But uh, I'm wrong an awful lot. <laughs> the first step first step is admitting that, 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 that that's, that's good. true. Yeah. Lori, and kind of starting to wrap this up, it, it seems to me that watching from a thousand miles away or, or however far away I am from Columbus, there just seems to be a lack of energy around the program and, and, and in the shot that was there uh, previously. Obviously, when the team was contending for Final Fours, but even when they weren't, there just seemed to be a much higher level of excitement and anticipation around Ohio State basketball that seems to have been severely lacking in recent years. Maybe it's because there's a, a lack of a really marquee player on the team. What can Mata and the players and the program as a whole do to get fans excited and make the shot as electric as it has been at times, especially since the students were moved down into the lower bowl a few years back? Well, uh, you need to raise expectations for one thing, uh, and you can't do that until you even out the consistency and the performances. Last year, when Ohio State won, they won by an average of 13 points. When they lost, they lost by an average of 14 points. So, you know, they, they were a little bit all over the map last season, and you need some consistency in your effort so that you can get consistently good results on that home court. Uh, another thing that I really like about what Thad Mata's program has done this year, and, and I really like that you bring this up, Matt, because it was something that I thought Thad Mata excelled at early in his tenure, you know, making sure that he wasn't just the custodian of the players in the court and what was going on there, but he was actually keeping an eye on the program as a whole. And he was doing things like tinkering with where the nut house would sit so that they could bring a new energy level. Uh, and I thought that he, I don't want to say took an eye off that, but I think he thought he got to a point where that could take care of itself. And it was apparent for the reasons that you mentioned that that was not the case. And one thing you see the Buckeye basketball team doing this offseason is keeping in touch with the media, making people available, trying to gin up some of that excitement that you talk about. Uh, and, and I think that that's a very good sign for the program in that it it's recognizing its role in energizing that building on a day in and, and day out basis. So that is something that I'm glad you brought up because it's, it's something that I really think Thad Mata deserves credit for and probably isn't getting a lot of credit hmm. for it. Hmm. That's that's good to hear because uh, there was a long stretch when the Ohio State football uh, and men's basketball and women's basketball teams were either all winning 
a Big Ten title or Big Ten tournament title pretty much every year. And the excitement around all three programs and the enthusiasm mm-hmm. that they generated really fed into the enthusiasm for the others, where it was a, a, a rising tide really did lift all of those ships. Heck, there was even a long stretch for three, four, maybe even into five years, where none of those three programs lost to Michigan. And when you can have that level of success, especially over your rivals, running through all of your major programs, it bleeds over to the fans, creating not only a great in-game experience, but it, it's just a much better time to be an Ohio State fan. You, you mentioned Thad Mata's involvement in this. It, a lot of fans know about his back issues. They know about the high back chair that he sits in during games. Matt, you saw him in, at Media Days in D.C. a few weeks ago. And, and Lori, you are obviously a lot closer to him in Columbus. But just for my own sanity and, and my fluctuating anxiety levels, how's he doing? I mean, is he able to really get in and, and mix it up in practice? I mean, what's his status right now? Well, I, I think he would tell you that he's... In pain sometimes. I mean, there are times when he can't make it to the post-game interviews if there are a set of stares between him and the reporters. Um, And I think that affects him more when it comes to recruiting than it does in coaching the team. Um, But one of the things that Ohio State fans at least have speculated on, and and I don't have any insight into how much this is true, uh, but one thing that is being speculated is that one reason that Chris Gent was brought aboard again was so that you do have, if Thad Mata should ever decide to step down for health reasons, you have an easy transition to another guy who is very qualified and who has said that Ohio State is his dream job. You have that guy on staff should you need him. So I I can't set your mind at ease when it comes to Thad Mata's health. I don't know enough about that. But I can tell you that if his health is not what it should be, and he needs to take care of that himself. And, and, you know, if that's what he needs to do, that's what he needs to do. But if that is the step he decides to take, needs to take, I think you've got some options there that are pretty good. So I can set your mind at ease maybe with that. Um, one other thing that I should have added, Matt, uh, when it comes to energizing the program, it's an, an elephant in, a, in the room. And so I really should address it. Out-of-conference scheduling needs to be, you know, you don't have to bring in the yeah. t- one of the top three teams in the nation. Uh, but you should probably bring in people who are higher than the top 300 in the nation. Yeah, looking through the non-conference home schedule, you've got North Carolina Central, you- you've got Providence, uh, West Carolina, Jackson State, Marshall, Fairleigh Dickinson, Florida Atlantic. Um, you've got UConn, a, a perennial powerhouse team, even if they're not at the top every year. That's a good program. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you've got Youngstown State and UNC Asheville. Not exactly the slate that's going to inspire a ton of students to show up and make noise in the nuthouse before the Big Ten season starts. Not just that. You're, you're getting a Providence team that just lost their two best players and is picked near the bottom of the Big East for this season. Uh, and that's kind of, and th- that's really kind of been Mata's MO over the last couple of seasons. There's been a staunch resistance to scheduling any quality programs that are, uh, that are with in state. It's, it's generally your, your Youngstowns or your Miamis or your, or your, your, your down season Cleveland state kind of programs. And a lot of these premier matchups have been played somewhere other than Columbus. You know, you're facing Virginia at home. You're playing UCLA in Las Vegas next season. They're going to be a part of this gigantic tournament and it's going to be in, or at Oregon, I think, uh, or in, in Portland. So um, that that is unfortunate if you only if you only have one game. A couple of these mid majors are, are potentially interesting if you're a basketball aficionado, but 
I think you and I both know, and Lori, maybe you maybe you disagree, but I don't know if there's that many basketball aficionados in Columbus who, you know, with the football season still in the forefront, think I'm going to get really excited about UNC Asheville. Yeah, I know. I would definitely agree with you. And as you mentioned, an easy way to solve that problem would be to bring in people from in-state that uh, generate a little more interest, or at least a crowd that can make its way from Athens to Columbus or from Toledo to Columbus, you know, and and bring in some visiting fans. Uh, So, yeah, that's that's something that, um, that's the elephant in the room. (laughs) Speaking of of crowds coming from Athens, how the Bobcats going to be this year, Lori? I would really like to see them take that next step, but... um, I'm I'm a little worried. I, I I gotta admit, but they have one of the most entertaining coaches in in college basketball. So even if it's a circus, I'll enjoy the show with my popcorn in the front row. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Lori Schmidt, thank you so much. This Thanks, was Lori. great information, great insight, and and hopefully we'll be able to talk to you again soon. I really appreciate you guys having me at the center of your mat sandwich. <laughs> that that sounds odd. <laughs> So Matt, Lori had a ton of really great insight into the Ohio State team, but one of the things that I wanted to tie into your experience at Big Ten Media Day was that she said that last year that a lot of the team's issues uh, came from the fact that Mark Loving was forced into a leadership position that he's just not naturally built for. Anytime you only have one senior on the team, and he is not one of the two players picked to represent the team at conference media days, that raises some eyebrows, but what did you think about the players that were there and what their capability to be leaders for this team are, you know, if your most experienced player and and one of your most highly recruited players just doesn't fit that mold? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I I asked KBD and and Kate about this. You know, what is, is there something maybe that fans aren't uh, seeing or understand about Mark Loving, because b- between the fact that you know he's been, the narrative is that Mark Loving's not a leader, or Mark Loving's body language indicates he doesn't care about basketball, <laughs> and 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 uh, you know there might be a little bit of truth to that. But what they both said is like you know he's somebody who is a perfectionist, and it, you know it, it it bothers him when he's struggling a little bit, and, and he, he gets he gets on about that in practice, and he's somebody they they both said is extremely funny. And, uh, you know, his, his, his personality type is not one where you're, he's going to, yeah, the guy who's, who's giving the Tim Tebow speech and standing up on top of a locker or anything. And, uh, you know, not everybody's like that, including some very successful players. Um, he's also, you know, just basketball-wise, he's not somebody, I think, that's as successful creating opportunities for him. And, you know, there might be a certain kind of player that you need to be, to be your big leader. For Loving to be most successful, I think it's when other people are creating opportunities for him where he's then able to either be a spot-up shooter or take advantage of some mismatches down low because he's so long and, and can attack more inside. And when, with that, when the offense is struggling and, you know, he's kind of forced to be the guy, uh, both, I think, intellectually and athletically, that's not a perfect fit. I, I'm, not, I'm not ready to give up on Loving. I think he's probably Ohio State's second best player, um, certainly one of their most important players. And uh, if other play, other people on the team are, are able to step up and fill that role, I don't think it's as big of a deal. Uh, it, it was an issue last season, but this is a much more experienced team than it was before. 
you you said there are a lot of other people that can fill that role. Is is it the two guys that were in DC, Kate Bates Diop and Jay Sean Tate? Or is it going to be someone like Jaquan Lyle, who is presumably going to be the starting point guard? Where is that leadership going to come from? That's a great question. You, I think, you, well, for one, you're probably going to see a little bit more of that coming from the coaching staff and program itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just from bringing in Chris Jant, who you know we, we talked about before, who is a, a bit of a hard driver, but but having Alan Major around, uh, somebody who has head coaching experience and just being institutionally part of the program, I think might help fill some of that leadership void. Um, Tate and KBD certainly, uh, you know, there there are people who have been around the program a little bit. KBD, somebody who has some NBA potential. Players are going to be looking to them. Uh, Lyle is probably going to be your best player so on some level he's going to need to lead it seems that he's lost some weight the there's a lot of people are saying a lot of positive things about him right now leading leading up up this season and it's it's there, there isn't an Aaron Kraft but there often isn't an Aaron Kraft right. uh, but but there are enough players who potentially uh, can, can can chip into that role a little bit where I think you'll see uh, some some better institutional leadership this year than you did before when some of the freshmen were kind of leading the asylum so if Jayshon Tate is going to be one of those players that the team turns to, both in terms of production and leadership, i got to ask the question, how's his health? He had a, a torn labrum last year. Did you talk to him at all about how his shoulder's doing? Is he 100% heading into the season? Well, I did not stay in a Holiday Inn Express, so I can't <laughs> claim to be a doctor. But he did indicate, and I believe the university has confirmed this since then, that he's expected to be 100%. Uh, you know, that it's, it's, a, it's a scary thing emotionally to, to suffer that kind of injury of not being able to practice shooting or have to change up your practice routine. Uh, but going into this year, everybody in this roster is expected to be healthy. All right, good. That's good to know. Um, you had mentioned when we were talking to Lori that Andrew Wesson was someone who you had originally thought could potentially redshirt this upcoming season, but Mata seemed to indicate that the intention was to play all four of the new players. I'm assuming that that means that for whatever reason you aren't expecting much from Wesson, but what are you expecting from the other three new players? Uh, that's a that's a good question. And and in and, and Wesson's defense, you know, there there are, you know, Mata did indicate that there are things that he's able to contribute right now. He's somebody who could potentially defend multiple positions. He has some upside as a potential three point shooter, filling in the the kind of. Uh, proverbial long three and D type player that's become so popular in the NBA. Uh, it's just that I don't know if there's a whole lot of minutes given right. Ohio State's relative depth on the wing for him in the, in the beginning of this year. So the other three, it's interesting because all three of them, I think feel very different kinds of roles. Micah Potter uh, was, you know, not, not a four or five star kind of recruit. His recruitment was starting to blow up just as Ohio State offered and, and kind of closed the book on everything. He provides something that Ohio State hasn't had in a couple of years, and that's a big man who can stretch the floor. Uh, I'd be a little bit concerned about Potter's you know, rim, rim protection ability right now. He's especially in a relatively physical Big Ten, so I don't know if you can you know, leave him out there for 25 minutes a night or anything, but he's very tall, and he has range, not just from mid-range, but also potentially from three. So to be able to, to mix him with like a Trevor Thompson on the court and, and put him in positions where he's able to provide more spacing, uh, even if it's only for six, eight, ten minutes a game, would be, I think, very beneficial for Ohio State. We, we talked a lot about C.J. Jackson. He's somebody who I think is going to see some significant playing time, uh, either in the backcourt with Lyle or instead of Lyle, if there's foul trouble or anything. Uh, he's going to be a spot-up shooter, and he's going to be able to play aggressive man-to-man defense and then set other players up. This wasn't a great 
passing team last season and they got stuck in iso ball. And if uh, one of Ohio State's playmakers is going to be able to, to prevent that, Jackson's going to be able to help with that role. The, the X factor is going to be Funderburk because it's not entirely clear what position he plays right now. He's a big guy, 6'9", 6'10". He's got a big wingspan. Uh, and then there were some things saying that, you know, he saw himself more as a, as a huge small forward, you know, like a, like a, a rich man's more, longer Mark Loving. Um, he might be able to play a little bit closer to the basket. His offensive game, I think, is going to need a little bit more development. But in terms of somebody who can, who can just wreck passing lanes and get up and run down the court, uh, he, he, he could play a role. He has the highest athletic upside of any uh, member of this recruiting class. So once he becomes a little bit more refined and Ohio State becomes more comfortable with where to use him, uh, he could play a big role uh, on the team moving forward. All right, because he was the highest-rated player in this recruiting class, so you would expect that there is something that athletically that will provide him some sort of opportunity to contribute as a freshman, most likely in a backup role. Um, He'll probably get a lot of time, as we mentioned earlier. Mata likes to get guys a lot of playing time early in the season before tightening his rotation for the conference season. So hopefully we'll get to see what he's all about uh, quite a bit during the non-conference slate. Okay, Let's go from looking at the Ohio State team on the micro level and, and pull back to the big picture and see if we can get on the record some official Land Grant Holy Land predictions about the team and the Big Ten as a whole. Looking first at the Big Ten and non-conference schedule for Ohio State, when the regular season is all said and done, Matt, what are we going to be looking at? Either in terms of record, seating in the Big Ten or NCAA tournament, what are your expectations for this Buckeye team? Uh, that's, that's a good question. So, um, looking at this right now, Ken Palm predicts Ohio state to go 23 and eight. Uh, that, feels, that seems high to me. That, I don't know. I know that I, I think that, that somewhere in that neighborhood seems relatively reasonable to me. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I think <sighs> Ohio state is going to be able to beat Navy and Providence relatively easily. I don't think either of those teams are very good. I think they're able to get one out of the Virginia, Connecticut, UCLA. Uh, UCLA is going to be very talented, but really young. Uh, that might be a game that the Buckeyes are able to get. They get UConn at home. And then, uh, you know, they have enough opportunities, I think, against teams that are a little bit better than they are, but at home uh, within the Big Ten play to get them. I don't think they're going to crack the top four, but this is a team that could finish anywhere from fifth through seventh, kind of battling with Maryland, battling with Michigan, battling with Illinois. And that should be good enough to get them somewhere in the seven to eight seed range, I think, for the for the NCAA tournament. They have the potential to finish a little bit higher than that. Missing the tournament or losing in the first round because they got like an 11 or 12 seed, I think would be a pretty significant disappointment. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I think if you break down the schedule and noting who they play at home and who they play on the road and when they play them, you mentioned that they get Northwestern at home, but the only time they face Michigan is on the road. So that's a game that they could presumably win, but it's going to be in a much tougher environment up in Ann Arbor. I would think somewhere mm-hmm. around 21 and 10 would be a nice season. You know, probably get them a, uh, you know, a five or six seed in the NCAA tournament, probably also a five seed in the Big Ten tournament, uh, get a buy in there. Um, I think that would be, you know, something nice after, after losing in the second round of the NIT last year. Um, it's something that would be a market improvement for a team that had a ton of turmoil and turnover this offseason, but as you've said, has most of its production coming back. So if we say that Ohio State is in that 5-7 and seven range uh, in terms of the seeding in the Big Ten, who do you think wins the Big Ten? I, I think the smart money right now would be on Wisconsin, who, who returns 
nearly everybody, including the preseason Big Ten Player of the Year in Nigel Hayes. Um, that that's good. That I, given the home court advantage that they enjoy, they 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 bring back you know Vito Brown and Ethan Happ, who who have uh, been very productive players. Um, I, I Khalil Iverson, a Columbus kid who who showed some some a little bit of promise here from last season. I think they're the most complete team. Uh, Michigan State is going to push them a lot, and so is Indiana. Uh, but I, I think the smart money would be on the Badgers, and then one you know those that those, that kind of filling out your your one two three. Purdue's got a very talented front court, but they still have questions at point guard. I think that that moves them down a little bit. One thing that I think is really interesting, you mentioned Wisconsin and Michigan State. Those teams are and, and have been the cream of the crop in the Big Ten over the past you know, five to ten years. But this year, they are so different. Wisconsin, as you said, pretty much returns everybody. But Michigan State pretty much lost everybody from Big Ten Player of the Year, Denzel Valentine, yep. all the way down the line. But they did bring in like five or six new players, including four of the top five recruits that came into the conference this year. So this seems almost more like a Calipari team than an Izzo team where you're going to have to get a lot of playing time from players who were in high school just six months before the season actually started. Um, uh, Nick Ward, another Columbus kid from Gahanna, is probably going to get some decent playing time. A lot. Niles Bridges. Yeah, Tom Izzo specifically singled out Nick Ward as somebody who has to play and has done better than they had expected. You know, that's... Uh, that you know that might go down as a miss for Ohio State. I, the Buckeyes really weren't even seriously in the mix there, hmm. uh, and he's he's a very good player. Him and and Bridges and Winston, uh, coupled with a really well coached program, uh, the upside for Michigan State then is extremely high. Yeah, and and with a recruiting class that is as talented as this one is, then getting two months of non conference experience under Tom Izzo and his staff. You send the smart money's on Wisconsin. I guess the dumb money's on Michigan State, but I'm going to go ahead and take the Spartans just for fun. Sure. No, we, we, we need a mix of dumb money on here, too. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Everything dumb, I'll be your guy. Okay, if if we've got those two teams potentially winning the Big Ten, do you expect Nigel Hayes, the, the preseason player of the year, to win that award at season's end? Or do you think one of the young guys from Michigan State or maybe someone like Melo Trimble from Maryland can have a great season because he doesn't have to to, to share the ball as much as some of those guys on better teams do? Um, so, so who do you think will be the, the POY and the B1G? That That's a great question. And I would probably kind of go with what you're insinuating there. I would imagine Hayes is going to have a, a statistically strong season. But given Wisconsin's pace which is really slow. And given that there's a bunch of other guys on that team that are going to need the ball, I, I could envision somebody else on a successful team um, putting up better numbers and winning that. It, it would be very difficult for somebody outside of the top three to get enough of the, the, the media and coach support to, to be the Big Ten Player of the Year. But if you want to... I'm, I'm fine to step out there and say it's going to be Miles Bridges. He, he might be the, the single most talented guy. <laughs> I, I don't know if I love if I love Maryland's support and cast enough for Melo Trumbull, but that isn't that isn't a terrible guess. But we'll we'll go with Miles. Okay, okay. So 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 if you are going with the Spartan freshman as the conference player of the year, you've already said that you think Jaquan Lyles the best player for the Buckeyes. I'll take your word at that. But what is he going to have to do to live up to that? Um, both from an offensive standpoint, because he's going to have the ball in his hands, but also from a defensive standpoint, because as Laurie told us earlier, defense was pretty lacking across the board last season. What is he going to have to do from that point guard position to earn the title as the best player for the Buckeyes this year? Yeah, I, well, I think he's already done the first thing, which is going to be really important here. and That's show up in shape. 
he came into to, to campus, started the yeah. season a little bit overweight last year. He's 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 thinned down, and that's going to help him get up and down the court more, which is something I think Gent wants to do, and also sets an example for his teammates now that he's been in the program a little while. Lyle's a little bit old for a sophomore. I think there's going to be some urgency on, on his end to really have a strong season so he can put himself in a position where he can start earning money. Uh, I, I would be surprised uh, if he's back at Ohio State next season, even if that means he's playing in Europe, just, just hmm. because of of, uh, of his age situation and everything and, and what kind of recruit he was coming into the program. Um, the, the biggest thing here is I think he's got to cut down his turnovers. Uh, he yeah. is, is going to be asked shield to pick up a, a, a large amount of scoring. And he's not somebody who I think is going to, you know, shoot 40% from three point land or anything. He's going to be able to use his size to oppose his will and get to the basket, which is what Ohio state needs him to do. But if he's able to do that, while also making smart passes or, or being a little bit more judicial about when he's charging to the basket, that will, that helps Ohio state's efficiency tremendously because if he's losing the basketball or if he's not, if he's not making great rotational decisions, there's not, I mean, C.J. Jackson a little bit, but there's not really another, like, ace ball handle or somebody else who's going to be able to fill in that role. You know, Cam Williams can probably play some spot point guard minutes, but you need him to be your microwave shooter. You don't yeah. want him to have to worry about playmaking or, or guarding the, the, the point guard or, or th- those kind of situations. So a lot of that responsibility is going to fall on him, and there's not really a lot of other people on this team that can do what he can do. I really like Cam Williams. He was streaky and, and not the most reliable player last year, but he did lead the team in three-point percentage last year at 43.7, but was only like third in attempts. So it'll be interesting to see if this new focus on spacing and flow and, and shooting in general can get him some more looks. I also think that he's going to be competing for a spot in the starting lineup rather than being the sixth man. So if he's on the floor, hopefully that can open up the lane for some of these wings uh, and centers to to bang down low, especially in the rough and tumble Big Ten. But I, I'm sure Thad will try a bunch of different things in the non-conference, but, but I do like the offensive potential when Cam is on the floor. So Matt, this is it. This is my first Hangout in the Holy Land podcast, so thank you for, for coming along with me, for keeping me focused, guiding me along the way, kind of being my Yoda. Um, I'm really looking forward to this basketball season and hopefully being able to watch the, the Buckeyes have a... Um, a much better year than, than last season and you know, have a better result than a, a loss to Florida in the NIT. Absolutely. I hope this experience was everything that you hoped it would be. And I hope it's the same for, for all the listeners here as well. I have to admit, it's a little bit more comfortable being in the passenger seat than having to drive the car. I don't, I don't mind that. Yeah, you can, you can look out the window, play with the radio, much better than actually driving. Okay, uh, thank you for listening to the High State Basketball Preview episode of Hang Out in the Holy Land. You can find all episodes of the podcast on landgrantholyland.com, SoundCloud, iTunes, and wherever you get your daily dose of podcast goodness. So for Matt Brown, I'm Matt Timonini, and we'll talk to you soon. Go Bucks. Go Bucks.